Welcome to the Tiny Logic Podcast, where we have conversations with those on the front lines of the tiny house revolution. My name is Adam Garrett Clark. In 2015, I created a $300 a month housing opportunity for myself and five other friends in an off-grid tiny home community in Oakland, California. Since then, tiny homes have taken over my life. This show is for the tiny converted to talk shop and get us all housed. You can find more information about the work of Tiny Logic at tinylogic.ninja. Have you ever looked at the lines and lines of RVs and trailers on the streets and wondered what it's like to live in one of those units day in and day out? In the summer of 2019, this is pre-pandemic, I had the following conversation with a Berkeley native, a man in his mid-30s, uh, who works as a waiter um, and happens to live in a tiny home on wheels, an RV, on the street. As you'll learn in this conversation, he does it by choice, but he still wrestles with the class implications his housing situation puts him in. Uh, but if you're like me and you're interested in solutions and thinking about what's possible, especially right now where we have this moment to reimagine everything, Uh, I think you're really going to like this conversation and get a lot out of it because we do a lot of brainstorming about how to create those situations that we all need and deserve, which is a safe place to set up one's home. Enjoy. Well, let's start. Let's start with the term homeless, because I think we were that's where we left off. Where do you do you consider yourself homeless? First question. That's a really interesting question, which I haven't considered directly. Uh, no, I haven't identified as homeless um, because this is undeniably a home. You know, like, uh, you know, we live in a 1991 Tioga Arrow. It's a 27-foot RV. Um, you know, in the common area, there's seating for six. We have a double bed in the back, a queen-size bed up front. So it Beautiful doesn't... Beautiful kitchen, it, sitting Yeah, four-burner stove, propane, gas... All the amenities you could want in a house. T- TV right in the yeah. bed area. 41-inch TV. Luxury. Exactly. I wish my place was like, this is nice. Yeah. Well, it's, it's you know, been a year we've been gradually working on it. you know, and It's, it's really nice to hear that, too, because we look at it and we're like, oh, we still have the ratty carpet it came with, and we don't have uh, solar yet. But you know, to yeah. see to get a reflection from someone else on what we have done, right. yeah, we put in the wood curtains. you know, so. Yeah. Um, so you don't consider yourself homeless. I don't consider myself homeless. Yeah. I think... Some people will look at us on paper and say we are homeless, um, which is an interesting thing. And what, you know, yeah, it's interesting to tease that out. But um, connected to that is this idea of, of the stigma. And, and we kind of talked about that earlier. Um, I don't know if you have any, any insights on that. Like when you, when you reveal that you live in a, in a home on wheels, um, do you notice that people kind of look at you differently than before you reveal that thing? Uh, I think for the most part, people look at me with more interest. They want to hear about it. You know, that when I describe it, they're like, that sounds awesome. It sounds very adventurous. Um, I think there's sort of two extremes when you talk about someone who lives uh, in a home on wheels. On the one hand, there's, you know, if you look on YouTube, you know, look for RV, right? You get all these sort of retired couples who are going around to the national parks, you know, spending months or years traveling around in their RV. Totally. If you look at van life, you get, you know, cute young couples uh, yeah. who have converted vans, you know, with like wood shingling and everything you can need. And they're out there 
traveling America or the world with their van, right. uh, you know, usually, I mean, the sense I get is a lot of them are like digital nomads, right? right. Where they make money th- uh, using the internet. Right. It sounds like such a grandpa. <laughs> make money <laughs> from the internet. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I think um, when you talk about, uh, do I consider myself homeless? In terms of RVs, where that gets challenging, or like I said, yeah, one in the spectrum is like the really nice, amazing, uh, idyllic lives of people who live on wheels on YouTube right. or Instagram, Instagram right? Yeah. Um, and then the other side is like anyone who lives in Berkeley or Oakland or really anywhere in the Bay yeah. uh, who sees, you know, dozens upon dozens of RVs every block in some neighborhoods, uh, which just gets grouped in with, you know, the tent encampments we also see and the people sitting on the street that we've seen right um and so and i think that also gets to the question of uh you know people's uh, intent uh as i said mentioned earlier like we chose to live in the rv because we bought it uh for recreation initially and then realized it just felt so homey and we'd like to hang out in it right we both started spending more time in our rv than in the homes we were renting or the apartments right the shared spaces and so we're like well if we're hanging out at the rv more and we have everything we need for a home here why don't we just move in full time right and uh, my girlfriend uh did it after a couple months of getting the rv uh, and it took me about 10 months uh i think i was a little slower to feel, you know there's there's certainly a, a primal or fundamental fear of letting go of a physical home i know what you mean man i i remember I will two 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 personal experience if I could just jump in on absolutely um, when I first had a when I first heard about this concept it was through a coworker of mine and I was living in an apartment with my girlfriend and I have to admit that when he told me about it he was an older guy I was li- he was living in an RV and it was outside of a friend's house and I I looked at him like like you're a loser man like you make <laughs> the same money as me like why are you doing this you know and then like a year later I was doing it and and I got and I started to understand how other people see me when I when I say that, but but before I jumped into it, I really had this like I'm not religious, but a, you know, a come to creator moment right. where I was like, whoa, like how am I gonna cut my hair? Like what? Am I ready for this? Like am I gonna really regret this? And yeah, my dad was like, it's fine. You can just come to my place and cut your hair. It'll be great. You know, your dad sounds great. <laughs> and I mean, I think uh, my my partner and I were lucky because we. Um, I have family in Berkeley. This is where I grew up. Right. She has family, despite being from the East Coast, she has family here in Alameda. So if it came to it, if the RV's in the shop, we do have beds we can sleep in, right. uh, in the homes of people who care about us very much. Right. Um, yeah, but I mean, that being said, you know, cutting your hair, like I shaved my beard outside yesterday and I, without a shirt. And yeah. My girlfriend's like, this is, you know, picture perfect for how people see us. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough one when you're doing it on the street. I mean, so let's talk about being on the street because I've 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 never experienced that. I've always done it behind a fence. Um, but just coming down, this is a nice. You found a really nice nook here. I almost knocked on another Tioga <laughs> further up, and then I was like, wait a second, like there's a lot of people here that might not be yeah. Jonah's rig. Um, but I noticed coming down, there's like people are set up there. First off, most of the setups are pretty clean. I don't see anything outside. Um, and I saw some levelers going on on a few of them. So they, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're there's professionals out here. And this is a this is a cul-de-sac street, as you mentioned when I met you. Yeah. So it's there's not a lot of through traffic, not a lot of neighbors to piss off, right? Yeah, I mean, cul-de-sac sounds like a suburb in my opinion, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's really it's just uh, in West Berkeley where the streets dead end 
on the uh, Amtrak, the railroad tracks, right. before we hit the marina. Uh, there's some nice uh, little cul-de-sac dead ends. Um, I'd say this is definitely nice in a lot of the places we've stayed. We've been all over. Uh, if you see, we have that map up there, uh, the East Bay, where I've, oh, I, yeah. I fell behind, but I was putting uh, marks on every place that we had been to sort of tra track our journey around the East Bay of living in the RV. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, as reminders of good spots to go back to because yeah. yeah, sometimes when we are moving it and we're like, well, where do we go? And, um, we're the most uncomfortable when we're on a residential street. Yeah. Um, because they're the, you know, the very next day cops come knock on the door. We get the 72 hour notice here. It was two weeks before we got a 72 hour notice. You just got one, right? Just got one. And it's funny when we pulled up here two weeks ago, there was actually about eight RVs and vans and cars in this little cul-de-sac. Yeah. But the day before we arrived, everybody else had gotten their 72 hour notice. Uh, so that's why there's only us and the people across the street now. Gotcha. So this is the game you play. So you get the 72 hour notice. As long as you get out before 72 <laughs> hours, you don't get towed. So, I mean, I, I wish that was that I guess technically that is the extent of the game yeah. uh, but the the challenge comes in when randomly I'm sitting here doing work in the morning or still in bed and there's like a violent knock on the door and there's two police officers outside because oh, uh, that's probably happened I don't know five times in the wow. last year six wow. times seven times where you know the police just feel like and usually they're not even saying anything they're just like hey you know you can't stay here and we're like, okay, I thought about 72 hours, you know, like last place we were at, um, was near West campus in Berkeley where it's, you know, there's a swimming pool and an adult school. And I guess uh, some part of this, of that, um, complex near the parking lot, um, there's a, uh, preschool. Uh -huh. So the first day we parked there, a cop comes, knocks on the door. And again, it's not a gentle knock. Cops, yeah. they like to bang. And yeah. then, you know, I'm putting pants on and they're already out by the back window where the bed is shining lights in, oh, you know, man. like very invasive. And there's, um, you know, I don't think they'd shine, shine flashlights and peer through people's windows of their physical homes without right. a warrant. Right. Or unless there was some cause for concern. Right. But anyways, the cop, he bangs on the door and he's like, hey. There's a preschool 20, 20, you know, 20 yards away. And you're clearly a child molester. <laughs> well, that's what we were questioning. He, the cop's like, you understand why you can't stay here. And, you know, at the time, I, I'm embarrassingly, I actually was like, oh, sure, no problem. You know, because you just want them to get out of your face right. before it escalates. But um, immediately after, I was like, oh, I should have said all these other things to him. You know, no, uh, why, officer? Why can we not park here if there's a preschool nearby? You right. don't want, you, you know, young Americans to see that, you know, not everybody has that big home, you know? Right. Right. Um, wow. I mean, my first thought is just like, oh, geez, like every moment they could potentially think that you're reaching for a gun and you might not survive that encounter. Totally. totally. I mean, yeah, I've tried to interact with police as little as possible. And it's like even here, they, yeah, they knock on the door. I, you know, open it with like my hands up, right? Yeah. Just because on the news you see so much scary shit where yeah. cops overreact. So, um, but wow. fortunately it's not super often, but it's annoying. And um, I wonder if there was like a sign. I mean, so I want to bookmark some ideas on how we can solve these problems, but yeah, I wonder if there's like something you can indicate on the on the outside that the cop can read and just know that you're not not yeah. and that you're playing well, the game. So I had that thought actually of putting like a whiteboard up on the front uh, window uh, in front of the the driver's seat, uh, just with like little. Uh, you know, say we parked here in a blank to write the date, you know, mm. we will leave by this date. Mm. Um, but then again, I don't want to move every 72 hours. That's a freaking hassle. You right. know, we like that we've been able to be here for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, Is that kind of the rhythm a couple of weeks and then you get the 72 hour notice? Sometimes a couple of days, sometimes a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. Never more, never like two months. 
Uh, no. But we move it uh, every two weeks anyways because uh, we get our um, our tanks, the gray water, black water drained right. and refill our water. And we go to uh, the Lake Chabot, uh, the park, you know, in the hills above Oakland and Hayward. Yeah. Uh, we camp there for one to two nights. So okay. we make a really special treat out of every two weeks. That's and big. there we can you know, drain the tanks and recharge. Uh, refill our water and does that cost money or is that uh yeah it's 20 dollars if you just want to use the tank draining um uh-huh. and to stay there is 40 so 30 okay so 50 no no, no no it's included with the 30 so it's 30 uh, bucks okay and so if we stay for two nights it's 60 bucks okay. so twice a week twice a month is 120 a month okay so, but then we get you know two trips to nature yeah so, yeah nice little built-in break it's almost like getting a dog forces you to walk around absolutely interesting um so 50 Fifty buck, no, thirty bucks a night, and you can drain your tanks. And I'm not sure where else you can do that in the Bay Area. Yeah. Uh, once we found Chabot, I stopped looking, but um, just a quick Google search doesn't really turn up much. Um, and it's interesting because once you get out towards uh, Sacramento, a little yeah. more in the valley, uh, a lot of gas stations have uh, little holes in the ground to drain your tanks. Interesting. Um, to service your RV, c- yeah. just because it's more common up out there. And right. it, whereas here, there's this attitude. It's like, oh, people have RVs. Are you know? one step away from homelessness, you know, yeah. a, you know, vis- visible display of poverty in my face, you know? Yeah. So, um, that's interesting in gas stations. That makes sense because gas stations are also where you can fill up your propane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We go to the one on, um, 55th and telegraph or sorry, MLK. I used to go there. So I think I would say the shell on Fruitvale is the cheapest that I've found, especially okay. if you go in bulk and you bring a lot. Okay. It's like yeah. 15 or less to fill refill. really okay yeah it's usually 40 for this it's like 3.99 a gallon i mean yeah. a, or a liter a gallon i'm not sure yeah uh and then uh i've had friends go to i want to say it's called trailer haven on inter- east 14th or international up in san leandro area that's a trailer park where you can just show up and dump your tank and sometimes if you do it like my friend if you show up when the office attendant isn't there you can do it for free okay I wonder, uh, is that the one in San Leandro? Yeah. Okay. Because that one, when we first got the RV, we looked into parking there, and they said there was a 70 RV waiting list. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. they charged 1200 bucks. Right, right. A month. You so just want to go just, there and leave your poop. With it's them. like, and this is um, this is something I wanted to bring up today, was just yeah. that there's not really any other RV parks in the Bay Area that I found, at least in the nearby East Bay. Um, right. And, I mean, you know, you've created the wheelhouse and the other one you live in, right? Yeah. And, and uh, we need to have more of these types of... Um, you know, safe parking sites totally. um, in the urban core. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and then it could become the thing like, you know, having every 10 blocks, a little, a lot where you can fit 10 RVs. Right. right. And there's a bathroom there and laundry there. Or yeah. It doesn't have to be laundry. there. really just a bathroom and maybe a place to plug in. Right. right. Um, that it could become more integrated in society that like tiny homes is a viable way of living legitimate uh, le- legitimate as opposed to just you know like you said the last step before you're on the street right. and your life is totally fucked you're a heroin addict you're a loser not that there's anything wrong with a heroin addict i no. mean not that there's judgment no, on it not at all you know but that's but yeah so okay so let's 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 talk about like how the world could look based on your personal experiences with this so i'm curious so so you pay 30 bucks to get rid of your tank but you get that built in trip to nature i'm wondering if i was to say to you i can come right here and service your unit you don't even have to do anything just text me um while you're out mm-hmm. of work um would you pay the same amount would that or would you want to pay less 
Uh, I would imagine it would cost more just if, you know, because someone would have to drive out here and they'd have to refill their tanks to bring them here or dump the tanks, right? Yeah, so the one thought is that, so you've heard of Lava May? No. Lava May is this great nonprofit um, started by a San Franciscan woman um, who wanted to do some um, radical hospitality. And um, and she, is that, is that the word? Yeah, radical hospitality. Basically, it's it's a it's a trailer or a bus built with um, tanks, three shower stalls and toilets, and a fresh water tank and a, and, a, and, a, and a wastewater tank. And they have a contract with East Bay Mud, or a license rather, permit with East Bay Mud to um, access the fire hydrants. Mm. And so they put on this little doodad on the end of a fire hydrant, run a hose to fill up the tank at the start of their session they do like a five-hour session and anybody can come and get a free shower and use the toilet for 15 minutes okay. um and then they fill up their tanks and maybe depending on the usage maybe midway through they've got to empty it and so that they can go into a nearby manhole pop it open and dump it out and it goes right into the sewers oh, uh, sounds amazing yeah so if so let's say like this is a beautiful street let's say we got um, the okay from Berkeley, we checked in with all from, you know, the Berkeley city, we, we checked in with all the neighbors and businesses around here, figured out what their boundaries were as far as this. We decided that like this spot where you're sitting and, you know, five other spots in a little cluster were fine. And we gave a little permit, like a little parking permit. So cops, when they show up, they see that and they know, okay, mm -hmm. these guys are cool. They've been checked out. And, <coughs> and then, everybody in this little cluster this little pop-up community would have a place to uh put their trash because we we'd set up some trash bins mm -hmm. for everybody and your tanks would be serviced and maybe yeah. some energy help maybe we could swap out your battery with a you know with yeah a charge battery. i mean that's a great idea that and that's one step closer than my vision of you know if the city takes unused land and yeah. you know on every uh, you know, square half mile or whatnot, or square mile, they have a site where RVs can park. But yeah. I mean, yeah, we have the space now. Just like on this street, there's uh, marked, you know, motorcycle parking and bike parking. Yeah. Uh, if we had spots that were like RV parking, Safe and for us, yeah, and for a, a small a fee, you could, you know, get a permit from the city. Right. I don't know what would be fair, but something to pay for the, you know, the the facilities, right? The someone coming in and uh, servicing the RV and the right. the uh, trash bins nearby. Um, that yeah, that that would be a rent. Yeah, yeah, and that would be like an immediate solution instead of just harrying the RVs from block to block consistently. Yeah. But the question is, so like, so the way that I'm thinking about it from a business standpoint is, um, you would the city, the municipality would like give a business like mine a permit to um, sort of ensure that there's know that this is a, sa a safe system so then i would th you know my company would then check out you know each individual unit make sure it's safe no that works yeah and then um you know uh kind of do property management so make sure you know if if somebody is um not being a good neighbor but based on some conduct that you know has already been stipulated um some bound you know if they're pushing past boundaries of like maybe outsource outside storage or loud music or something like that um, and a neighbor complains then we, we could come down and have a conversation 
and ensure you know we could revoke at some point your your permit if you weren't living up to the standards and for all that there would be a fee so that you you as the as the homeowner would have to pay to be to get your permit and to be have your your unit serviced but i think the real question is like compared to free right now and you have there's extra work involved in your free right now is that worth it to you like to pay Oh, hundred percent. It's not that I don't want to pay anything for rent. Yeah. Uh, it's just I want to live in my RV because right. I like it and it's homey and right. it's just cool to have an entire apartment on wheels, right? Yeah. Um, I think um, I'd be glad to pay, you know, for these services. And I mean, my vision for a safe parking site that would work for this too is uh, there's a sliding scale you pay if you're completely unemployed, you know, or on disability, you know, based on your income, right. you, you can pay various amounts. Right. Um, and yeah, with, with this idea of yours, which could really be implemented immediately, we would just have to, uh, like, you know, pick like maybe like ten spots as a pilot program, right? right? And mark right. it off RV parking, you know, right? Um, and uh, that would be, yeah. I mean, I'd be glad to pay to not have to f- stress about moving it and to just feel legitimized as right. like a, a citizen of Berkeley and a human being. Right. Totally. What else would you would you want? I mean, we talked about trash having your the water moved um, through. Would you want like a little like parklet maybe, you know, at the end of the cluster, in the middle of the cluster, some sort of like hangout spot? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, I mean that that would be uh, on the wish list, right? That's yeah. not essential. Yeah. But um, yeah, and that's something uh, we really liked about seeing Wheelhouse was like you guys have the little chairs in the nature little zone, right? Where right. people can come and, and congregate and get to know each other hangout and chat. Spot. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't think that's 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 not high on the priorities i mean it'd be sure. ideal sure. um but i think I, and i think also that's like the main challenges of living in our rv on the street are the the ta- you know draining the tanks filling up the fresh water and electricity right right getting propane too but you can get that at any gas station but electricity right, right? so i mean we notice a lot of people just run their engines right you know to recharge their house battery in their rvs which um, which can piss off neighbors if you're close enough oh absolutely it can yeah. piss off neighbors and it's just polluting you know and so right. uh we're in the process of putting solar on the roof nice. right now which uh, there's a couple really good books out there um about and just talking to people yeah um so what would be good is if we could um, have in parallel to this idea, you know, of a, a, a truck that comes to service the RVs, the, the fluids, uh, yeah. if we could uh, have some nonprofit team of people who work with solar panel, solar, uh, solar power who could come and volunteer to install them on people's rigs. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and by the way, I can help you with that. I've, I've installed a lot. Nice. I think the issue, though, with with that in this context is like this is a pretty shady street. In, in not like, you know, in mm-hmm. just like the literal sense. So you may not get enough sun in this location. It's it's very location-based is my point. Perhaps. And I, I mean, we intentionally parked at the same exact spot we're in right now because it's under a tree for the shade. Yeah. But if I was primarily dependent on solar, I would make sure I parked in the sun. Sure. And it would be a trade-off. I would mind, you know, a little slightly higher temperature inside yeah. to get the solar. Yeah. I th- I guess like, f- yeah, for me, I love I love the su- the solar. And I think, yeah, every rig should have it. Um, but for, for maximum flexibility, I think you, you would want to have something else. I mean, maybe it's, it's wind turbines there. I have a friend of a friend. No, he's a friend who makes these solar panels that are super small that 
um, track the sun. So they're the, like these little, you know, guys like the size of my hand, and you can put them say on the, a bunch on the side of your rig, mm. and they'll track the sun. So that might give you a little bit more flexibility. But I don't know. I yeah. think I think a, a battery swap system could be interesting. Right, and that's the thing you mentioned when we met you a couple yeah. weeks ago. Um, yeah. Where, um, I mean, so so that'd be like you know every RV has the house the the engine battery and the house battery right? right ours are both in the same place under the hood they're both 12 volts right. um so your idea would be that people could when their battery dies they could you know trade it in for a freshly charged one yeah and you would have to i mean if you're dealing with lead acid you don't want to discharge your battery less than like half capacity maybe even right. like two-thirds capacity so you really you would really want to um dial that in um and so that's that's the challenge because our battery. I mean, our battery is is failing. But I mean, even when I th- it was new, we would only get about uh, a week yeah. on the battery, yeah. and that was discharging it probably too much, right. right? So it'd be a pretty frequent turnover. That's a great uh, point. And it takes you know it does take twenty minutes to take out a battery, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it would have to. You would really have to do I think lithium ion, which are lighter, um, and they can go get be drained all the way down. Okay and not affect the quality of like the lifespan of the battery. Um, they're just way more expensive. So okay. it would be a bigger oh yeah, investment. Very expensive. Right. Yeah. Or, or maybe like there needs to be a technology leap in the near future for that. But I mean, that's our, you know, our laptops run off of that. Right. All those scooters are running off of that. It's kind of the, the Tesla batteries running off of that. Basically the Teslas yeah. are running off. Right. Of that. Right. And I mean, yeah, if you can afford a Tesla, your RV is going to look pretty nice. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, to me, it just seems solar is the, the easiest solution. And I mean, I calculate it's about 1500 bucks to put all the components on that we need. Sure. Uh, you know, getting like, you know, I, I was looking at four panels. You can get by with two. Yeah. Right. Um, but Plus, yeah. just the other week uh, at a party, we met a guy who works in solar, a uh, solar installation for homes. And he says he has that. He had uh, five solar panels that were cracked, so they couldn't sell them to customers, but they work perfectly fine, and yeah. he offered them to us. There you go. So yeah. I'm imagining other solar companies. There's a ton out there. It's super big right now. You yeah. know, in Berkeley, you can't go a block without seeing a home that's got yeah. you know ten panels put on on the the roof. Yeah. Um. So you know, maybe we could get the you know donations or from the manufacturer, right? Of yeah. imperfect ones or for cheaper. Sure. Um, and, I mean, yeah, there's. It I, there's not a, I mean that still takes a lot of uh, a lot of planning a lot of putting different things together right um, yeah I mean you can also order them on a- that's what I did is I just ordered them on Amazon it's okay. about it's about a hundred it's about a dollar per watt so like a hundred watt panel right. is gonna be around a little over a hundred bucks yeah so I was looking at putting four hundred on the roof um, yeah. so I guess uh, another solution and this I mean this maybe wouldn't work if we just uh, you know start devoting parking spots on the streets in Berkeley but yeah. you know if we could you take un- unused land the city could donate it for yeah. safe parking s- sites we could have plug-ins right just connect your RV to the electrical grid sure right yeah. that seems the easiest solution if we could develop these small communities and I guess it would start if we have these little safe parking sites uh, you know speckled around cities it would start with the people who are in their RVs on the street right now, but ideally it could be, uh, you know, similar to like mixed use housing where people who were RVing, you know, people who are visiting mm-hmm. the Bay area, you know, could park their RV there. Sure. Right. Cause there aren't a lot of, uh, you know, you go anywhere outside of the dense metropolitan metropolitan area and you find lots of like RV parks everywhere, you know, right. campsites. Right. But, uh, the closest campsite is Chabot, you know, it's about an hour away, 45 minutes by car. Yeah. Um, 
and but yeah i mean if if you're this, you know some stereotypical elderly retired couple right who's rving around america you can't there's no place to really go in the bay area yeah right so if we if we changed it up and started having these safe parking sites uh, all over you know distributed through the cities similar to parking lots um you know people probably of multiple uh, socioeconomic levels would engage in them sure you know and, and then we also you know when i was mentioning the on the 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 fantasy side of our of living in your vehicle about Instagram and van life and uh-huh. all that. I mean, then there I forgot to mention also the tiny home community, yeah. right? And so I mean, we've all seen these pictures of these cute ass little cabins built yeah. on the black back of like eighteen wheel trailers, right? And yeah. they're they're uh, adorable. I mean, they start at like sixty thousand dollars, right? And and um, maybe not as mobile, right? Um, yeah, some you know. of them. So if they get big, you know, bigger in length or. The weight is too much. Right. Yeah. But it just I just bring that up as an example of that. Like a lot of people are into small space living. For sure. It's not just people who the you know, the desperate, the the dis- dispossessed, right? It's yeah. uh and I've I've just want to give a plug for it right now. I mean, since moving in here, my mind feels clearer. It's just like the less things you have, you know, the more free you are. And yeah. you know, obviously I'm not the first to say that, but yeah. it's uh you know, and I, I actually do have a storage unit nearby with stuff, but like, you know, that's our outdoor gear and Burning Man stuff and uh, overflow clothes. Um, so I'm not a perfect minimalist yet, but I am a small space uh, resident. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, I appreciate you bringing that point up. Um, for sure. I would add to that. Once you get into this world, you, for the most part, especially if you're trying to save some money and you're not like super wealthy, you're going to be a DIYer. You're going to, when you're, when your plumbing goes down, you're going to be learned how to become a plumber mm-hmm. and you're going to, you're learning how to become an electrician and yeah. set up solar. You're learning a ton of useful skills Absolutely. and it's, it's super empowering because you, you, you come to it. Like I, I had a liberal arts degree. Like I never, my dad's mechanically minded. I never hung out with him in the garage and I regretted it once I got into this, but you s- you come across this problem and you're like, what am I going to do? I have no idea how to approach this. And you're like, but I have to because I want to cook. Yeah. And you do it. You finally get it. And then you you feel so awesome about yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I completely agree, Adam. It's, it's very uh, – it's empowering. It builds confidence. And it's just fun, you know? It's like my father, too, he was very, very much a tinker. You know, if the faucet was leaking in the kitchen, he wouldn't call him a plumber. He'd spend a whole day on his of his free time fixing it himself you right. know and i always th- thought that was sometimes debatable if you want to waste all you know spend all that time doing it but there's a genuine pleasure right. in in figuring things out and learning how things work and yeah. um you know i mean like f- when i look at the back of the fridge from the outside it's completely overwhelming all these parts and you know i'm not going there yet right but yeah. something like putting solar on uh you know putting wood floors in right We're, yeah. you know, we put new locks on all the bins on the outside you know because they all just have the standard 751 key on rvs uh. um so all the outdoor outside storage compartments we put um you know locks that we only have the key for yeah um yeah and so yeah it's it's really nice uh so okay i'm curious about the storage piece um especially in the context of doing it on the street how important is it for you to have um you know in the perfect world for this setup to have like some outdoor space like is it important to you to have like a little patio and a little outdoor storage i mean Mm. are you are you kind of making a sacrifice in this situation well we we rent a storage unit at berkeley self-storage if i just put a plug for them they're great um on san pablo nice um it's like 160 bucks a month for five by ten uh like i say we have like a lot of like mountaineering and camping gear in there and burning man stuff and clothes and books and no i mean i'll eventually 
get rid of more stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, initially moving in here, I didn't, uh, I got rid of a lot of stuff, but it wasn't worth it to push myself further to get rid of yeah. every single thing I could possibly think of. Right. Um, but I, and I think, you know, I don't, I would imagine a lot of people don't have storage units. I don't know if, I mean, that's, that's what I keep sort of getting back to is that most of the RVs we see on the streets of Oakland and Berkeley are in worse shape than ours, yeah. despite ours being 28 years old. Uh, like it's not uncommon. It's probably more than half have like tarps over parts of the roof. Yeah. You didn't have uh, any leak problems. Cause that's so common. So no, actually when we, I mean, we, this, we looked at five different RVs, I believe uh, off of Craigslist before we picked this one. Yeah. Uh, and one of the, I mean, among other things, one of the main things we loved was that the roof had recently been re refinished. Uh, um, yeah. And so, I mean, no, I've definitely, there's been two times in the last year that I've spent half a day up there uh, touching it up and cleaning it. And, um, but uh, no, we've been pretty fortunate with that. Nice. Yeah. 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 Cause that can be a thing. I've definitely had my share of leaks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, for us, the, what the f initial surprise in terms of that was a uh, condensation when we first moved oh, in, right. yeah, you know, yeah, through yeah. the winter months this year, uh, you just see droplets of water on the ceiling. And at first we thought it was a leak, but then we realized, no, it's just our breath, yeah. you know, and, and every time we cook. And so now we sort of have discreetly placed uh, little absorbing bins like that one below the table there. Uh, um, oh, is that like kind of like kitty litter sort of uh, stuff? I, I, I don't know what it's called like crystals but it, or something? it's just yeah it's just this big tub of something that absorbs moisture like we have another one over there yeah um because yeah you know i mean the condensation collects on the walls and ceiling and then it drips down and then the wood warps and you, right. i mean you're, you're gonna see that already in a 30 year old um yeah. rig but that um, is one of the drawbacks and i think that has to do with the it's the the metal exterior and the yeah. small like limp thin insulation Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, we're breathing in here, and the walls are much colder. So yeah. the water goes from vapor to, to uh, liquid, right? Right. Um, so uh, back to the storage. Though. Yeah. I know we've meandered a lot in our conversations. <laughs> uh, I mean, we have a storage unit uh, for 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 a vision of of you know some way to legitimize and integrate people who live in RVs into communities like Berkeley. Uh, I think it would be good to provide storage for the residents. I mean, again, though, that's lower priority, similar to a parklet, right? Because yeah. every RV has storage units. I mean, even if they didn't on the outside, it's a huge space on the inside, sure. right? I mean, people who live in cars are going to need storage units, right? Yeah. Uh, people who live in tents need store need some safe place to put their belongings. It's such a that's such a great add-on. I mean, how, yeah, I guess. Do you have any thoughts on how that would how that would play out? I mean, it's just basically like you get a storage unit. There's it would have to be near where you're going to be set up. Yeah, I mean, I think it was L.A. I try to follow all the news on homelessness and RVs, you know, since joining the community in a sense. Sure. Uh, not in a sense, absolutely, you yeah. know. Um, and I think it's L.A. Some c part of it they are giving free storage lockers to anybody who's homeless. Really? Yeah, and I mean, of course, you know, I don't know if it. If I just hope it's in a convenient location, but I mean, it, that seems to be one of the not i've never been on the streets but you know without a rv uh but let's see one of the scariest things is just like you're you know you're, all your belongings could get stolen right yeah. you have to uh, yeah. carry it all along with you you know yeah. so you take a shopping cart then the police harass you for that right it's just a, a so easy to cycle downward yeah and um an another 
thought, uh, I know we talked about it last time, but this woman, Amy Farrah Weiss in San Francisco, who I was yeah. literally just with her. Like uh, awesome. I, I've ago. been wanting to reconnect with her. I met her a couple of years ago, but I've, I've followed, I've been following what she does with the St. Francis homelessness challenge. Yeah. Um, and you know, a couple of, I think it was even a couple of years ago, she started, they had a pilot site in the mission, right. With two little tiny homes thrown together. Um, I mean, not, you know, not yeah. super done up. I think the cost was like 2000 for each and they include, you know, roof over your head, a little storage, locked storage. Right. Right. And, um, yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's great to have a pilot site, right? We uh, were, yeah, so we were actually just talking about the storage piece, and she, yeah, she had a um, pilot project out of the Impact Hub in San Francisco, in the Mission, and it was one one tiny home built by Moksha, uh, who's a tiny house builder, and they had some storage on the outside, but there was a there was some friction um, because the, the resident still had um, a lot of storage needs on the outside of, of her home, and there was a, an agreement between you know the the neighbors in the area and Impact Hub that there would be no no storage outside of the unit, and so that agreement kept getting broken. And mm. Amy was kind of tasked with she was kind of like the the liaison, the enforcer, uh, or you know the reminder of the agreements. And so there became friction between her and the the uh, participant. And yeah. my takeaway: we didn't get to explore it too much, but it's so it's such a primal thing. It's stuff. Um, and especially when you when you feel like maybe you don't have enough stuff or um, when somebody when anybody takes your stuff and throws it away, which is what Amy had to do in some moments to just keep up with the agreement. Um, that's really enraging for people. And I think I don't think I don't see a way around that, um, especially when you ask an American who's like full of this culture of stuff to pare down and live in a tiny space like we're not all gonna just instantly become Marie Kondo you know <laughs> yeah I, and this is something my girlfriend and I have commented on quite a bit over the last year is that um, there's often a lot of trash around the RVs in yes. Berkeley and Oakland and in the tent cities I mean that makes a little more sense because they don't have storage right right we've always been very strict about like every single thing we have gets stored in the RV yeah. right and we have the storage unit for overflow right. but um I yeah Adam I think absolutely gets back uh, sorry gets back to the idea that when you're desperate when you're living in poverty every single thing you come across could have value sure because like just this morning we had a guy in a huge truck pull up and it looked like he was on his way to Burning Man it was like you know 10 feet high of things you know tied down in this flatbed truck uh -huh. and it was like no organization just bicycle wheels and tables and some old tvs and and just you couldn't don't even know what's in there and right. and like most of this i'm sure is garbage i don't think they're using it. it's just like when you have nothing you gather everything right you can you know broken bicycles because something might have value down the road right. and i mean i think yeah there's there's just the for one the like you mentioned the f f uh, fundamental american value of of consumerism but then yeah. it gets exponentially worse when you're in poverty and yeah. you're living in with sort of this constant stress right yeah. i mean you talk about like maslow's hierarchy of needs if, if you don't have feel safe with a roof over your head and and an income to provide yourself with food right it, and those basic things it's like yeah i think the mind doesn't work quite as well no, you know the higher sure. level processing of like what do i want to do with my life how can i improve myself you know it's harder to get there and i've experienced that during periods when i've been more financially strapped um yeah. and so yeah i mean so again like people just collect a lot of things and so i think it's good what amy's doing i think especially not because we're not we're still in the pilot 
you know, we're just taking the first baby step steps of integrating RVs and, and vehicle dwellers into our communities here. Right. So it's important that the first residents in these pilot programs adhere to these rules, right? Yeah. It's like, it's so such a gift that the community is letting us take these steps. Right. And no, there's, I, I don't mean to sound callous, but there isn't any excuse if you're picked to be in one of these programs to then just continue acquiring shit that you, you know, put around your home, right? right. That's going to then wreck the relationship with the neighbors for sure yeah yeah um and i think i've also heard especially when you're in the in the the that far side of the spectrum where you're on the street and you don't even have a shelter or um and you're exposed to you know whoever can come and 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 fuck with you um i've heard that people actually pile trash up as a strategy to a like kind of diffuse all the the valuable stuff they have with a bunch of trash so if it's harder to be robbed because there's just mm. a bunch of it's a haystack mm-hmm. you create and then b it's it's like a physical barrier that people you can like set up behind yeah. you know that people can totally like in les miserables right you build oh, a barricade yeah. of they throw together tables and chairs build a barricade against the french army oh okay anyway, i gotta youtube yeah. that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's uh so yeah that makes a lot of sense and i think that's why you know i really liked you were the first person i heard who used the term like safe parking site you mm-hmm. know when you were talking about this pilot in oakland um that we might be interested in yeah and it's it uh, when you talk about safe it's not just safe from the meter maids and the police but yeah safe from other people right because right. you don't want to you, you can't how can you sleep if you're like living in fear clutching you know your phone yeah. you know like i mean yeah well, let's talk about some of the the worst, uh, the less awesome moments uh, in this uh, experience that you've had. I mean, so you talked about the cops. Um, what other what other experiences have you had in this in this world? <laughs> in the the RV world yeah. specifically. Yeah, like doing it on the street. Yeah. What, um, what have you been exposed to? I mean, when you phrase the question that way, like it's it's been pretty good. Okay. You know, I don't have a lot to complain about. Um, you know, I mean, like couple months into getting the rv like our uh, heating core failed so we had coolant leaking onto the front seats okay. you know um but i mean any any vehicle's gonna have repairs it needs um no no like side eyes or like worse like um, vandalism to your rig from angry neighbors fortunately no um I, that would and just from i mean i'm a big walker uh, i walk around berkeley a lot and i haven't actually seen that on any other rv um okay. but i it's actually it definitely has crossed my mind you know that people yeah i've heard of that i've heard of people um their units being burned i've oh, heard gosh. of tires slashed you know getting keyed or graffitied um, yeah i mean i think maybe maybe in oakland that would happen more where there's uh more crime i think here in berkeley it's more i can't imagine any of these like you know berkeley homeowners would you know risk their comfortable little existence to go come over and and you know key or vandalize an rv yeah. it's more just like sort of snooty attitudes and you know like i say we've we've learned very quickly if you park anywhere near a residential home they're going to call the police right away yeah you know, and, and and so yeah, there is this. Just I think the the hardest part is just this overall vibe of just feeling like, you know, keeping our heads down. You know, we're you know feeling sort of apologetic that we're in their space, which right. is completely bullshit. Like it's everyone's city. I was born here. I grew up here. Right. You know, the guy Tony in the RV ahead of us. He's gone now, but um, he was here last week. He was Berkeley High as well, class of '78. Wow. Uh, he had a home until about three years ago. He got divorced and. I forget the exact details. Somehow his son got his half of the home, and so he's in the RV now. And he's struggling, you know. He's like, I'm 50-something. Who's going to hire me for a job, you know? Like, it's, it's 
it, it's it's hard for a lot of people here and um but this is his home why should just because berkeley passes an ordinance why should he just go start parking in in you know albany or el cerrito although i'm sure they already have ordinances and if they don't they will soon right right and it's like it's like the city of berkeley seems to tolerate you know the tent cities well not all the time right but it's it's much easier to tell people who live in a vehicle drive away right right we're not um yeah. So, so I think that, and, and, and that is the, I think the getting into a place like where you live, where it's legit, where we're in a community of RVs and yeah. we don't have to worry about police knocking on the door, uh, that would, um, <clears throat> taking away that fundamental <clears throat> feeling of sort of stress and, right. and, you know, trying to keep a low profile, you know, and sort of a little shame, yeah. right? I mean, that that seems to be the key. And I think that would help all the people out here because like I say, we're in a lot better shape than pretty much every other RV we see on the streets of Berkeley. Yeah. Um, and but um, everybody deserves, yeah, to be legitimized and to feel like they can be a part of this community, Yeah. right? Yeah, no, well said, man. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, we shouldn't have to think this way, but what are what are some ways that we can be a resource to the house community if we are parking in this say housing cluster or even if it's in an, like an abandoned lot near a bunch of neighbors like what are ways to like get them to w to be incentivized to like yell at um, politicians to say make sure that this is okay in my neighbor yes in my backyard what are ways to incentivize the homeowners and the residents yeah to to, to <coughs> want want you to park in front of their house i i it's hard for me to think of an incentive for a homeowner i don't and i you know when you talk about a pilot program where you could just like mark spots on the streets in yeah. berkeley that are for rv parking i would i was imagining it'd be places like this where there aren't residents around um but there are businesses right there are businesses yeah um but there's not a lot of traffic you know i don't think these businesses don't necessarily get a lot of uh you know, consumers coming in as much as in more res uh, business districts. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, because I think, I mean, when I, if I lived in a home, I would not want an RV directly in front of me, you know, blocking, like, all you see out the window is the RV. Right. Um, you know, I, I've, I liked, you know, on your website with Tiny Logic, the idea of uh, working with homeowners who have an extra driveway. Right. Who would be happy to rent that out to someone in an RV. Right. Right. For some fair rate. Um and then, you know, they'd make some extra money each month. They'd be doing a good deed, you know, by, right. you know, contributing to a path to integrate vehicle-dwelling folks into the community. Yeah, or um, I would phrase it just like giving a, somebody a safe place to be. Yeah. Giving somebody a home. Yeah, giving Homes. somebody a home. And we could totally, we could, yeah. yeah, they could get a little more if they're able to give electricity hookups, you know, et cetera. And, um so I don't. I mean, I, I guess we never touched base on like how that's going or how you find homeowners. You, to you know, I I totally forgot about that angle, and I that was something I really wanted to explore with you because I know you were excited about that. Um, and just a brain fart that we didn't talk about. Yeah, that, so I'm glad I mean, you, you have this great detailed uh, application. You know, I spent like three hours for it. I know you did. <laughs> no, it's great because there's a lot of things to think about, right? Yeah. And it's I love what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. So I mean, are you? How are you? Are you marketing to homeowners or that? So that's the next step. So it, the, the way that I've been thinking about it is uh, collect a basket of people. Well, there was already a, a large basket of people that want to um, 
to do what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. There's a large basket of people that, that, that need a space. And then the next step is to collect a basket of people that uh, have the space and then do some matching based on best fits. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I think that's something actually I wanted to talk to you about is to, s- is to brainstorm on the strategy for that. My first thought would be I have experience in college of going door to door um, for the for the perg in Massachusetts, asking people around dinner time if if they can listen to my five minute spiel and try to get donate some money to you know the environment. Um, so we could go that approach and do it um, and create like a little flyer, leave it on somebody's door. We would have to target I think specific houses that we can see that there's a clear space and there's a clear path to get there with a big rig because not every house has. If they have yeah. a backyard space, they might not have the clearance to drive something straight through. Right, and that that's uh, something that I immediately just thought of is like, I mean, my stepmom owns a house, you know, a, a mile from here, and just there's very few homes that could handle an RV in this neighborhood. Um, I mean, I lived in Sacramento for seven years, and there, um, between each city blocks in the main grid, downtown, midtown, there's alleys. Okay. Right, so you have everybody has back access to their lot Ah. in Sacramento, virtually every single home in the main grid that's like 30 blocks by 30 blocks. Interesting. So yeah, between every two streets, there's alleys, so you can always access your your back, and so a lot of people have parking back there, RVs back there. Interesting. But yeah, in Berkeley, um, like the driveways here are far too small, and they're steep often. Yeah. um, So, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wonder how we would, I think it might be better just like sort of a casting call somehow get it into like the newspapers right or yeah get it emailed on like next door or the berkeley parents network right right it's just you know hitting up a large group of people and then the one percent or two percent that have suitable but even that if say it's five percent of people have a suitable space and then maybe it's only one out of 50 of those that even would be interested in it yeah. so i mean that's why to me it seems working with the city to create like i would imagine there's lots of unused land i mean i see it in very more in oakland than berkeley yeah so the unused land thing you've referenced it a couple times and yes it should happen i think it's a it's what at least in the oakland context there that's kind of like the first line that most housing activists go for when they're talking in the context of tiny homes is give us give us the land and there's you know there's i think the city's response is oh there isn't so much land um but it is Either way, there whether it's city land or it's privately owned land that's not being used, or it's some um, absentee landowner that has a lot that just becomes a dumping site, and the neighbors have an incentive for it to be a, st- a stewarded, clean space with somebody mm-hmm. on it. Um, there are pieces of land that can be occupied, and that could could and should be figured out. And there is the the vacant land tax that just got passed in Oakland, and I don't think they've really figured out what that's going to mean if somebody does have a vacant piece of land. Um, so there is that, that's a, that's a a low hanging fruit. Totally. We should pursue it. But back to the, to the backyards. Yeah. I mean, you're right with the next door or online. Um, I did do that actually a year ago. I put out a survey and I got some homeowners Mm. to respond. Most of what they said, their incentives were, were money. Um, and a little bit was to house like a friend or a family member. Um, but the yeah, the one big problem with it is that anybody who's really open to it, they want like a lot of money, more money than I, than I think most people that are interested in doing this would want to pay. Like you know, yeah. eight hundred thousand. Yeah. Well, because that's the thing. I mean, people like people who live in an RV, they could 
a couple could probably rent a room in some house, right? Yeah. In like Oakland for maybe 800 or a thousand. A shared room, like yeah, a, a room, with, room for, with like a bunch of a, other, other roommates, roommates yeah. perhaps. Yeah. yeah uh, sure. Maybe not an SF, but like it, um, yeah. So it, the, the cost, if the cost is prohibitive, it's not going to solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that's why I I really like the idea. I think the the financial piece works better in the scenario of the street mm -hmm. of, a of like I, the phrase I've been throwing around is safe house street, a safe house street. I don't mm. know. Maybe yeah. that's uh, maybe there uh, needs more work there, but like <laughs> or pop up community. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, because basically the basic idea is that the if the land can be free, the parking space can be free, then the costs are really just the operations of moving the the um the water flows the energy flows yeah. the gas flows through the housing system um and then sort of the softer stuff of you know ensuring that there's good conduct and that it's a safe unit and that sort of thing that that seems so easy to implement and yeah like there already are all these empty streets in industrial neighborhoods that the rvs park at right if we could just mark rv spots each one could have a number you'd, you'd get a permit you're registered this is my spot right right like that seems great sure yeah uh, yeah i mean because yeah that's one of the biggest expenses for for doing recreating like the wheelhouse or what i call jenkins raccoon farm is that where you live yeah okay jenkins raccoon garden we'll there's a lot of names yeah. oh yeah you haven't yeah, yeah you should come check it out um so yeah, recreating that would sorry could it would be a privately owned land donated right or uh no 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 in both of those scenarios were leasing land yeah um, and we just had the, the luck in both of those scenarios to have um, a brave landowner who also wanted money but um, was willing to go probably lower than market what they could get for the rent so the the rent for the overall lot which gets divvied up by every um, resident in in the form of mm -hmm. a footprint um, that if that's low enough and then you have all the utilities you can you can get to a place where you can charge like four hundred dollars a month and you can still pay for somebody to kind of monitor it and and do the work yeah that's what i was just thinking that i mean if you have 10 i mean how many vehicles are on your uh in both now we're at eight at eight yeah so eight people paying four hundred a month that's thirty two hundred bucks right suppose some of that goes to cover the electricity or is that extra people pay so yeah, because um, if that just went direct to the landlord, I mean they're making the same as they'd make renting out like a two-bedroom single-family home. Yeah, yeah. If oh, you're saying if all thirty-two, yeah. So right, and the way the model that I'm kind of operating under, in a way, there's it's a little more complex, but in a way, it's like renting the land for say two thousand or less, mm -hmm. or sixteen hundred, yeah. uh, or a thousand in one case, and then you know. Then you've got the utilities, and it's different utilities depending on what. So where I live, we're all solar. We have a great south-facing lot, lots of sun. Everybody invested in their own solar units, so there is no electricity awesome. costs. Um, and then there's water. There's porta potty which ideally would be um, like a, a permitted composting mm -hmm. public toilet type situation um and then you guys have a communal shower and then we have a communal shower which which comes out of the water bill and there's also some propane cost to that water heater but it's like it's pretty negligible yeah. it's like 20 bucks a month 
15 bucks a month. No, I mean, that that seems ideal. And so that's a, a separate route, right? One is going through the city to try to create legit sp- spots to park. And this right. is going through private landowners. Private people, yeah, and private that, land. Yeah. That seems like, uh, I mean, much easer than going yeah. through a bureaucratic institution. Right. But the problem right now is that the, the, the there's laws against it. So the landowner has to be brave. The people doing it have to be brave and willing and knowing that like they could have a code enforcer show up and say you got a month or maybe you got three months to to get out because otherwise we're going to start issuing fines to your landowner and your mm-hmm. landowner is not going to want that. So, and so is that a possibility where you live in the back of your mind? That's always been a possibility. Like when when we when my community started uh, about five years ago, it was because we were at an another community that had that happen mm. where the land was being sold. We knew that we had like a vague six month timeline and we were kind of looking. Mm-hmm. And then in that, that moment zoning officials found out about it, pressured the landowner and um, we had a month's notice and, and then we, we stressed out and we got down to four days before we had to leave. We didn't have a place to go. And then we found this place that we're in. And how did you find this current land and the owner? I was, it was like a Hail Mary pass. I was calling, <laughs> I was calling real estate agents. Nobody wanted to talk to me cause they could tell like I wasn't representing any money or commissions for them. I was walking dogs at the time and I walked a dog right past that lot that I live in now. Yeah. And I saw it and I could visualize the space. I could see it moving there. And I, um, made, made a call to a, a real estate agent who took a chance on me and she searched on her little special system and got me the um the property owner's name and he happened to be a, a business owner so i could google him and he happened to answer his phone when i called him okay so the landowner was trying to sell the land and you convinced them to keep the land and take no no it was it wasn't for sale it was just like he was just sitting on a vacant lot which okay. happens all the time okay and in his case it was um a lot that he was using to store his construction equipment but he wasn't actually using it to store anything because all of his construction equipment was out in the field doing work. Right, right. Okay, so yeah, so basically if we put together like a really nice proposal yeah. that we can then present to owners of vacant lots. Yeah. And so, and when you created this five years ago up till now, have you ever intentionally reached out to the city of Oakland just to say like, hey, I know this isn't legal, but we're doing it? I mean, wh- how, about wha- how much awareness do they have of your... Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually, not too long after we got... Um, exposed from the first lot there was about 10 of us at that other lot um, we I uh, reached out to Rachel Flynn the then uh, head of zoning and I basically said I, it took me a lot of kind of pestering calls and emails but eventually she responded <laughs> yeah. and I basically said I'm a journalist I've been covering this and I'm curious about how this type of situation could be possible like a, a I want to talk about a proposed community, but I was, I was so I was talking about a community that I already lived in. But you didn't name it, and you didn't say you live in one already. No, no, okay. it was a hypothetical because gotcha. I was deathly afraid of being exposed yeah. and ha- losing not only my housing but the housing of six other people that I was that I was responsible for if I exposed us. Yeah, it's funny because we see your situation as like idyllic, and that's what we want to work towards. But yeah. even in your situation, there's always this thought in the back of your mind that the city could just decide to. Clamp right. down and right. evict everybody. Right. And now that we're in the housing crisis, the shelter crisis, and now that they've said they're not going to do enforcement, and now that we we were exposed to a code enforcer 
uh, right after Trump got elected, I got a, a note mm-hmm. from um, my landlord with this this thing he got in the mail, and it was because our neighbors who were squatting on a lot next to us had started a fire that actually burned down the house next to them, and that's when code enforcers came and they saw us because they were looking in at our neighbors and. Um, that was a very scary moment, but we were able to, they kind of looked the other way because we weren't okay. pissing off anybody. So all those things make us feel a little bit more comfortable and safe right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I really like that idea though, of just identifying vacant lots, having some nice package we can present to the owners. Yeah. You know, you'll get this much per month. You'll be right. contributing to, you know, a new type of community. Like you just find the right, like hippie people who own land. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. But they have to they have to worry about legal repercussions at this point. So that's that's the biggest thing is like even in the lease that we've signed, we don't explicitly say what we're doing. Okay, so so there's no written record. We just say we're parking vehicles. So so that the the landlord is protected. Um, And yeah, so that's that's the thing is you don't necessarily always have a landowner that wants to take a chance on that. you know, so they could expose get, themselves. They could get fined. Is that the biggest concern? They could get fined. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of confusion about what could happen. I think a lot of people are afraid of these squatters' rights that people talk about, um, or a professional tenant is what something I've heard people say. Somebody who's legally savvy who can play the system and say like, "Well, I've been here for three months, so now I have rights, and you have to pay me." to leave or you know oh. deal with my situation so yeah you want to write that into the contract then that the landowners since they're extending an olive branch they're not going to get screwed sure right? that's what we need and yeah. to to legalize it for people who have land to let people in rvs or cars live on it would that be a state law or city by city yeah that's a great question i think um it's it's comes down to the right now the building department says i believe it's it's the building department and the planning department say that a, a livable structure there's standards for a livable structure and those include uh, a minimum square footage which is getting easier and easier to mm-hmm. fall, fit a tiny house into um but it, it it includes a foundation and so um that seems to be last time i talked to a building official about that which was a couple mm-hmm. years ago um, that was non-negotiable. Um, and I've heard that there are workarounds with that. Like there's things that you can add on to this structure to get it into uh, a permanent foundation type scenario that it would pass a, you know, a building inspection. But even, but if, you, even if you had a structure with a foundation, w- you still right now are not legally allowed to have people living in RVs, right? Or if you have the structure, then it's okay? Right. Uh no, you're right. So there is there is a a law on the books in Oakland at least that says that yeah, you can't live in an RV for more than 72 hours. Mm. Um and you can't even legally park your own RV on your own land. Interesting. Um unless it's under a carport. Um so you yeah, you would you would have to I mean, one way would would be potentially to just build like little greenhouse carports and then just like how how is anybody going to know if somebody's living in it? But that's kind of a workaround. Yeah. And would they be transparent to the UV rays or whatnot to charge solar too? 
Yeah, that's mm. something you would have to. I don't know <laughs> that that would work. This, yeah, or put the solar on top of each yeah. carport, and then you could have a plug-in for the RV. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's so many yeah. different ways to yeah. do it. There's also the density issue too. So there's like laws about density. So so lots only are allowed. Certain lots may only are be allowed for one single-family home, or oh, this one's permit zoned for two single-family homes, which is yeah. always like boring. So no, actually, in just in the last two days, the New York Times had a pretty in-depth article about single-family home zoning across America. Yeah. And they profiled like six different cities, like Minneapolis. Uh, I forget all the rest, but basically, most cities in America, it's like seventy percent or more is zoned for single-family homes. Right, and that's that's a cultural sort of classist thing um, because normally the implication is is once you go like multi-stories you're, you're when you go dense you're you're encouraging more poverty uh, lower income and lower income means um, lower class and it often means in America um, the wrong skin color so mm. um, there's a great uh, series on uh, HBO series called show me a hero hmm. about 19 you're, you said your, your rig is 1989 uh, 91 oh, okay yeah so so right around that time um, in the the late 80s early 90s in Yonkers New York there was uh, proposed housing development low-income housing and uh, in, a, in a wealthy um, whiter area and they were not going to allow that low-income housing to come in and it was it was about race but it was also not it was just about class and it was like well if you can afford to live here then you're welcome but if you can't afford to live here we do not want you here and then they yeah it's a great series because it really gets into that sticky icky situation yeah. that 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 correlation between race and class yeah um and it gets yeah it, and but that's i think that's a big part of the dynamic that we're we're fighting right now it's not in Oakland, you know, when you look on who's on, you look at who's in on the streets, and you look at who's in the community meetings, screaming about who's on the streets, it's very color color coded, mm. you know. Yeah. But if you go up to like Oregon, it's not, and there's still the you know. Yeah. Well, Oregon, my understanding, I mean, I was just in Portland. It seems mostly white. Like, yeah, it's very much larger percent Caucasian than the Bay Area. Right. So, so the homeless people are white, and yeah. the house people are white, and I don't know if that's why in Oregon um, there is, you know, there is, I think there is animosity just like there is here between the two groups, but there are way more programs over there for mm. someone who's, who's struggling. Interesting. So I went there last summer. I mean, there was, you know, there was more than I can count of safe camping sites. Mm. Um, there's, you know, in Eugene, Oregon, there's a opportunity village, which is like well known as a, as a great model. Um, where there's actually there's little tiny homes, just wood structures, four walls, and there's also these things called Quonset huts, and uh, there's like thirty. It's kind of like the safe parking site. Well, yeah, but, uh, but it's that's been around for like five years. Can't wait to visit there. I mean, I love just in Portland and side aside, just the uh, little like uh, food truck courts everywhere. I mean, they're not oh, even yeah, food yeah. trucks; like permanently yeah. installed little huts yeah. and you know and there's communal tables it's like a german beer garden right it's yeah. like everybody's eating together yeah um it was a really nice sense of community yeah. um that being said I've, i have seen articles in the last year about the homeless problem and the rv problem in seattle and oregon portland yeah. um it's so yeah i mean i think in here like in terms of multi-unit homes in berkeley it's like, I mean, I know there's some laws where a certain percent have to be permanently affordable, right? But permanently affordable even is out of reach for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, 
yeah, I think it's just a lot of people just in America, I mean, it's Berkeley for, for here, uh, just like having their own single family home with a backyard. That's like what they vision as this is what successful life is. Right. I want to have my own backyard where I can have my own barbecues, you know, and right. it's like, then you go to SF where far fewer people have backyards, um, right. Because there's so many three, four story Victorians. And then you look at like Dolores park and like any weekend, it's like covered with people like a beach. Yeah. So it's like when people don't, you know, when there is multi unit buildings, people go out more. Sure. Right. That's what I experienced in here too. I'm more likely to like go for a walk go out for a coffee shop. Right. right? And so, um, yeah, it's just sort of changing the mentality, right? And there yeah. are apartment buildings in downtown Berkeley, right? And so yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it gets less and less as you move into the residential zones here. But, yeah. like, yeah, it's just people's perspective. And if, if uh, yeah, it, uh, building more homes is the solution to the housing crisis. Like, that's, the, I mean, RVs, vehicle dwelling, this is, like, a great temporary solution for a lot of people right yeah but i would i don't know i want to pull everybody out here in rvs and see like do you want to live in your rv do you right. want a house because i'm really curious like yeah. who's on our level who's just like yeah it's a fun adventure and we're doing the best we can and right. who's like this is all i have i mean it's probably a mix for a lot of people it's a great question um, yeah but i did just read uh that uh in the bay area something like there's been like 600,000 new jobs in the past 10 years and only 120,000 new homes. Right. So that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people that say it's not about the units. Um, and because you look at like how many vacant houses there are Mm -hmm. that people are sitting on for financial reasons to wait like through some sort of like legal requirement before they can rent it out. Or you look at like how many of these unit livable units are, being used for short-term rentals because it's more profitable Mm -hmm. you know right um but anyway i we should probably wrap up i'm um taking your whole night totally no this has been a really really uh good conversation enlightening enlightening and i really look forward to like working with you in the future you know because i've got tons of ideas myself and just you know you i amy fairweiss we all need to like you know sort of coalesce to like put our brains together and help move this uh, this community forward, you know, yeah. and find a way to legitimize and integrate, uh, you know, RV living or van living into urban centers and not just have it be this thing that you do on the road in national parks on Instagram. Right. Sure. Yeah. Any final, final words or thoughts? Mm. Well, that, that was one. Yeah, that um, was, that was a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, no, I mean, I just, it's a, it's a really exciting world to be in. I, I want to find a way to like, to like, create a community with everybody who's living in an RV. I mean, I read in the, the Berkeley newspaper, they estimated there's 300 RVs in Berkeley. I yeah. think there's probably more, but yeah. um, we need to have some sort of like website, email list, something where we can all be in communication. Sure. And we can, you know, because there is power in numbers, yeah. right? And if every single person in the East Bay who lives in an RV drove them all, say, to downtown Berkeley mm. and just kept driving in circles <laughs> in downtown, if we had 300 <laughs> RVs clogging traffic the same way we do on the freeway with human bodies, you know, like, with, like with critical Black mass. Lives Matter, yeah, and stuff or critical mass yeah, yeah. Uh, like then they have to start they have to look at it right if yeah. we're like scattered all at these little you know cul-de-sacs and industrial areas against right. the train tracks you know just sort of hold, keeping our heads down and moving every three days right. when we're told to you know it, that's bullshit right right and i mean yeah i really like the idea of a day of action where we just keep driving in circles around downtown every rv i don't the, know about the global warming angle on that yeah though. yeah okay well maybe we just park I don't know. Something, something, but just somehow we need to like cool. unite and and be in communication because even like 
I mean, I'm pretty chatty, as, as you can see, and I noticed, though, a lot of the people that we park nearby, like, they just keep their heads down. They're not yeah. really, you know, I had a couple of days ago a woman who lives in her car, like, just a sedan, yeah. uh, o- older woman, 40s, uh, parked right behind us, and she was cooking between her car and our RV and a little camp stove, uh-huh. right? And I walk over there to say hi, and she's me like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll be gone soon. Oh, wow, you yeah. Know? And, yeah. And I'm like, lady, we're in the same spot. Like, we're part of the same t- tribe, right? Yeah. Like, I'm... I'm just want to say hi yeah. you know but it's like even to each other we're feeling like oh i'm so sorry I and mean, it's just like this mentality has to stop yeah we are citizens of the east bay we are allowed to be here and just passing ordinances that keep shuttling us to, from city to city is not going to solve the problem because yeah. people want to live here and for those of us who don't have a tech job or whatnot that can afford this astronomical rent yeah. like there should be the city should work with us to allow us to stay in our home yeah. Say it loud. I live on wheels and I'm proud. I live on wheels and I'm proud. <laughs> right on. Thank you so much, Adam. <laughs> if you've got ADU or tiny home questions, give me a shout at tinylogic.ninja. <laughs>